We're back from It Starts Now, the happy hour of finance and business. My name is Stanley. I got a good dear friend that's on today. But before we begin, I'd like to thank everybody for continuously supporting and sharing our videos and liking our content. Please subscribe so that way we could continue to bring you some amazing content from some amazing people. Uh, we got one special person today. I knew her for quite a long time, um, based out in Dade County. Yeah. Salute. Um, she has her Dade own law <laughs> uh, Please welcome a good friend of mine, Sarah Bertrand. Sarah? Hi. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks welcome. for having me, Stan. Ah, glad thank to have you, you. Thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. Hey, I'm, we're so excited to have you. And we're going to dive in on a lot of issues that I know everybody want to know about when it comes to like escrow and, and titles and all that stuff. Uh, before then, I just want to talk about your journey. Cool. How's that been? How did you transition into, because you were, if I remember correctly, you were helping out with um, promotion from artists, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. That's that's how it all started, right? Um, yeah. So a little bit about my background. I went to the University of Miami and I have a, um, a bachelor's in business management. And uh, while I was there, I got started with a lot of the music industry down in the Miami area, specifically the Haitian community. So been planning festivals um, between down here, New York, um, Canada, Haiti, all of that stuff. So I've worked with a lot of the major artists in that industry. And um, in the meantime, while I was doing that, in addition to, you know, regular work, uh, I decided to go to law school. And uh, became a lawyer. So here we are today. <laughs> so it's been a long journey. Yeah, it's been a long journey. Um, I don't want to give away my age, but I graduated from uh, <laughs> UM in 2010. Uh, yeah, 2010. So between 2010 and now, you know, we've been in between working, starting businesses, you know, going to school and stuff. So uh, I think this is the last stop school-wise for me. Um, so, you know. Yeah. Um, you've been doing this for like working with different businesses for a long time now. What are the, some of the things that you learn like from each one of them? Oh, um, yeah, I have been working, uh, with different businesses. So between working in the, uh, music industry, I have my PR company, well, I still have my, my PR company, Sarah PR. Mm -hmm. And uh, so with that, I get to work with all kinds of companies, um, whether it's corporate companies that want to do buy-ins in the community for radio or, or, or TV ads, or whether it's just other companies who want to have creative ways to market, um, we've worked with them. Uh, pretty much what you learn is that every company is, is different. That's, that's, that's one of the main things. So some companies you come in and they're buried by the book. They have, you know, exactly what they want, exactly what they need. And then you have other companies that you're just kind of going and working with them and seeing how you could get them off the ground and, and move along and, and get some things done. Um, so it, it's been a very interesting process. I've gotten to work on a lot of different types of brands and different types of, you know, industries. So mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's, it's been an interesting process. And I still get a lot of companies who hit me up now depending on what kind of project it is. If I want to take it on with my team, I might take it on. But uh, for the most part, we've transitioned more into the real estate and law realm of the business at this point. Okay, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. So w what are you sipping on right now? I have the Haitian rum and coke. So a little five-star barbecue. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had to keep it, had to keep it zo. 
Hey, I'm not mad at you at all. I'm not mad at you at all. All right, let's get back to it. <laughs> so now you learn all these different things and you decided to go to law school. Like what made you make that transition to say, you know what, I'm going to go and learn uh, to become a lawyer? Right. So while I was in uh, undergrad, I uh, had one of my really close friends who was just like, oh, let's go to law school. And I was like, okay, we'll see. Um, in the meantime, I went and I did a master's. And while I was doing my master's, I had the opportunity to work at an immigration firm. Okay. And the attorney that I worked for, 95% of his clients were Haitian. And I was the uh, Haitian paralegal that did all the translations and you know communicated for him because he was a Jewish person. So he didn't you know speak any Creole. Mm-hmm. Um, but he treated the clients so, so poorly, like horrible. And I used to feel so bad but because I worked for him, I couldn't really tell them, you know, certain things. But I would tell them, don't come here without your kids. Don't come here without somebody who speaks English so you can understand, you know, better what's happening. Because mind you, these are people that could be our parents. They could be my aunt, my my sister, my, you know, my mom. So for them to, you know, be being treated that way, I was just, you know, it was too much. So I said, you know what, I need to um, get into law school. And even if I don't practice immigration, practice in certain areas that, will be able to help people, you know, in the community and people who just don't understand what's going on. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times they get into these cases and situations, they're scared, they don't know what's happening, they can't understand the language, the languages but as much. So, you know, it was important to me that I got into the field and uh, was able to help on the, on that side. So that's what, what gave me that final push to go in. I remember telling you when I was going to go to law school and you were like, oh yeah, that's that's a great idea. Okay. And I was just like, yeah, we'll see. And you're like, are you going to be a I was like, I guess. <laughs> so, um, yeah, here we are. And look, look, you can, and you know what the funny thing is? It's like we had the conversation about you going to law school. And before I know it, you're already done. Yeah, I'm already out of it. Like, Wait, we just had this conversation. It looks like that looking back. Now you're like, dang, that was just, you know, but when you're going through it, it's like, wait, what is going on here? It felt like it, it felt like forever. It really did. But looking back, it's like, okay, it wasn't that long. You know, time does fly. But while you're in it and you're like right. going through it, it's kind of like, Lord, when am I going to be done? When is this going to be over? <laughs> so, you know, it was it was one of the hardest things that I, you know, had to do just, especially time-wise. I'm not going right. to even say like, but just the time wise, like I had a little kid. You remember my son was small. When I started law school, he was one. Right. Um, so I had a little baby that I kind of had to, you know, hand over to family members while I was like working during the day, going to school at night. You know, it was it was a real hustle still working and stuff. So um, but thank God we're done. Thank God we're here. You know, so, you know, we made it through and, um, you know, we're we, we going to make it do what it do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you celebrated the day that you graduated. Oh, the day that I graduated, I was a half celebration, half crying. I think I was like listening to Cardi B on the way to <laughs> to graduation. Like I was hyped. Like I was just like, Lord, you have, you know, brought me through this, this trial and tribulations. I just remember, like, I remember just being on campus like 24 seven, like there's nights where we had exams coming up and you just like sleep in the library and like wake up the next morning and go straight to class and go like, take an exam and even brush your teeth yet or nothing just like and that was before math so everybody was just like just stay away you know because yeah. i slept here last night but you know we had to make those kind of sacrifices and do what we had to do so and yeah, yeah. it's paying off it's paying off and i was just about to ask that because a lot of people want to probably want to 
uh, I'm one of those people who would say, is it worth it? Like towards the end, after you do all those years, um, is it worth it? Right. All those years, all that money. Let's all that money. The, so, yeah, the, don't the forget loans, the money. Right, yeah. right, right. The loans. <laughs> yeah. the loans. Unfortunately, I wasn't a trust fund baby. So, you know, I have to pay for all this stuff. Uh, I got to pay it back. Right. Um, was it worth it? I feel like I'm just getting started at the beginning of my career. But um, so far, I think I think it, it is like I've, mm. I've had the opportunity to, you know, just help a lot of people, counsel a lot of people. People ask me questions all the time. And um, just people who are proud, like I, I, I'll have I'll have I'm not that old. I mean, you know, mm. I, I graduated a while ago, but I'm not that old. But just like I'll see other people and they're like, oh, my God, you're an attorney. You know, that's great and stuff. I'm so proud of you, like strangers. So um, I think that impact. Yeah, we, we need more people of color in these positions um, just to teach us some things. And we'll get to talk to about some stuff that, you know, people don't know um, later on in the show. But I think that it, it was worth it. I think it's going to continue to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a, a train of thought, like, you know, people, people in other communities ha- have attorneys just on call and yeah. you don't find people in our community understanding the need to have an attorney on call. They just kind of sign in stuff by themselves. They're just kind of, you know, doing things without any structure mm-hmm. and it comes to bite them at the end. So yeah. I think that, you know, if we can have platforms like this and people like me and you who are like spreading this information and giving them this knowledge, you know, we'll be able to put them in a better position that, you know, the other communities have been in for decades and centuries. Yeah, I agree. I call it the Google curse. Right. Um, yeah. Everybody research something on Google and they think they're an expert and right. they don't need anybody anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No, so, I, get it. I definitely get it, man. But, you know, uh, the fact that you were able to do like one of the things that I, I truly admire is the fact that you uh, it didn't take, well, it took you some time, but during that journey, you were still trying to find, like you still had what you had in order in places, right. you're still running multiple companies or right. multiple businesses, but what you, you still didn't find it and you still search and searching. And now it feels like you found your passion right. and that, that lets a lot of people know that you should never give up. You should continuously try to um, yeah. aim for something better. So if you feel that you're content, that's one thing, but if you're not really content and you're still searching, then continue continue to search so that way you can find what it is that you love to do. I think it's a never ending search. I, I know while I was in law school, personally, I probably like worked in like two or three different industries besides only my business. I had a chance to work um, for South Florida Workforce, which is, you know, ca- pretty much cash assistance. So I, I worked as a social worker for maybe like the first year of law school. I had an opportunity to go work for a nonprofit as well. And I was their director of quality assurance. Mm-hmm. So I worked in the nonprofit realm for a little bit. Um, after that, I had a chance to work with um, one of my companies who owned a restaurant. So I did some, you know, back of, back of the house management for them. Uh, so I, I, I've worked in a lot of industries. I've worked in banking. I, I pretty much have tried it all. Like I was, once I graduated college, I was in that space of, okay, oh, that looks like an interesting job. Let me try that and see if I liked it. And um, what I've realized is I don't like working for the man. So that's, <laughs> that wasn't for me. That was not for me because um, all the jobs, it would be easy for me to get. But like after a year, I was just like, Mm-mm, this ain't it. Yeah. So I don't like working for the man. And um, I enjoy being able to help people on, on this level. Because I think once you get to the, to the point of, okay, you need to seek legal counsel that's when people start to really get, you know, a bit scared or anxious or, you know, not really understanding because um, having somebody else serve you papers or send you stuff, you're like, whoa, what is this? You know what I'm saying? People hear court and they're like, wait, 
Um, you know, so I think helping people on this level kind of just gives them, you know, and it's a, it's a comfortable perspective. I call myself a millennial attorney. Um, yeah. I don't have the regular office hours. So my clients text me, they call me on the weekends. Um, I have a separate cell phone for them. So it's, it's a different kind of thing if I need to meet with them on some weekends and stuff. So I've removed that kind of nine to five, like extra formal thing. And then we're able to get through their stuff a lot easier because they're more comfortable. Yeah. I like that though. Yeah. Uh, because it's not so much structured, like, you know, in a corporate office. Yeah. 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 I, 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 for me personally, I like personal service. So like people, even if it's like my beautician or person, mm -hmm. you know, doing stuff, I like to be able to text them and be like, Hey, I need an appointment or Hey, what about this? Or, you know, whatever. So I made sure that I'm mm -hmm. structuring my practice in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so if a client has a question that just pops up, they're able to, hey, Sarah, what do you think about this? And this is that. And I could just shoot them a quick text and advise them and counsel them. And, you know, it makes them comfortable enough to come to me. Uh, it makes them comfortable enough to, you know, say, hey, I'll, let me connect you with my attorney. You know, and it gives us that kind of relationship that they yeah. wouldn't otherwise have going to an attorney from different communities. So yeah. I think people enjoy it. No, I, I agree because I have a dentist and um, it was shocking because I have a dentist and a doctor. They both say text me whenever, anytime. Hey. Just text me. And I, at first it was strange. I'm like, no, I got to call your office. I got right, to right. I gotta speak to the assistant. I got to speak to somebody before I get to actually you. Mm -hmm. Now this um, straight, direct, like an open door policy just come right to me. Right. I, 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 I'm starting to enjoy it because now I'm, I text the doctor. I know that the staff don't like it, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know, I, I have a, a few people who assist me in my day to day. So I'll just say this person wants to come in, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. It just gives them. I, I know I personally enjoy it. Like, I like to be able to text my people directly. Be like, hey, I need an appointment. Or, hey, can I come in? Or, hey, can you squeeze me in? So and I, I try to offer that service to my clients and they enjoy it too. Like when they see me texting them back, like on a Saturday at like 10 PM, they're like, Oh wait, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? But if I'm by my phone and I see you texting me, it's nothing for me to text you back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As opposed to let's wait on Monday at nine 30 and then, you know, call and leave a message and, yeah. you know, so I've kind of removed that barrier and I try to, you know, keep it, keep it a lot more direct and a lot more um, personal. Are you one of those people that work and play at the same time? Um, what is work and play at the same time? I mean, if work. I'm out, if I'm out, I'm definitely handing business cards out. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I'm out and it could be anywhere, you know what I mean? Anywhere yeah. I'm handing out business cards. Um, I believe in advertising in unconventional places. Mm. So whether it's, um, at a church or at an adult entertainment area, <laughs> then you know if we gotta advertise and stuff like that but yeah i, I don't i i I'm, I'm i'm down for that um i work on vacations i i have whatsapp for my clients also so if they need to whatsapp me while i'm out of town and stuff and sometimes it's not even an emergency but because they're in a situation and they don't understand what's going on just to give them a little peace of mind and be like hey yeah no problem i'll i'll look at it when i get back it just makes them feel better so um yeah we can work and play it's I, we're in a digital space now there's no need for you know a lot of yeah. the barriers that existed before. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. That's a valid point right there. I like that. Yeah. We're in a digital space right now. We're in a digital space. Like I have a lot of clients. We do zoom meetings. We never even have to meet like in person. We'll do a zoom meeting. Mm -hmm. All my retainers are electronic. Like they could do e-signatures. They go ahead and, you know, do what they need yeah. to do. They could pay online. Like everything has like a workflow. So if you want to meet, yes, there's traditional office and you could come in. Some people still like that old school mm -hmm. stuff, but other people who are out of town and can't make it or they're busy at work, we could set up, you know, something later in the evening and, you know, they appreciate the flexibility. Yeah. I like that. 
I like that a lot. Hold <laughs> on. So let's touch on. Um, so what is the title in escrow and how does it work? What is the title in escrow? So I am mm-hmm. the attorney at uh, All Purpose Title. And we are a full purpose title and escrow company for the whole state of Florida. And what does that mean? So pretty much when you're purchasing a property, uh, you'll hear them say, okay, you have to put down a deposit, right? And so that deposit, who holds it? We're the ones who hold it, the title company. Mm -hmm. So we'll send you information and then you'll put the deposit in the escrow company. So what, why do you have to leave it there? So when you send your deposit, you're not giving it to the person that you're buying the house from. You're not giving it to your real estate agent. You're giving it to what you would consider a, a neutral third party, which is us. Mm-hmm. And if the deal goes through, we add it in and it gets calculated and we pay off whatever we need to pay off. If the deal doesn't go through, then you have an opportunity to get your money back or get some of your money back if there's no issues that were caused by the person buying it. So that's what we do. In addition to that, the title part, when you're purchasing a property, you want to make sure you're actually purchasing it from the owner. The person who actually owns the property is the one who's selling it to you. Uh, you want to make sure that there's no liens on the property. You want to make sure that there's nothing outstanding, no violations or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So as a title company, we're the ones who do all the searches for that. Make sure there's no additional loans. Make sure there's no liens from the city. Make sure there's no unpaid um, property taxes. Make sure there's no unpaid utility um, bills. Uh, just making sure that you get your property free and clear, uh, making sure that there is no other subsidies that are on the property that, you know, after you purchase the property in your, in your home, you're not getting bills from something that the previous owner did. So we're the ones who do the entire searches and everything else. And then we're the ones who do your closing for you. So when you go to closing, the bank will send all the documents and they'll be like, okay, great, you're clear to close. So at closing, we're the ones who sign all your documents, notarize all your documents for you. We're the ones who record the deed um, and record the mortgage um, with your county. And uh, just make sure that the sale is actually done. We're the one who pays off everybody else. So we pay the old mortgage that was there. If the seller is receiving any money back, we're the one who pays the seller out. So the bank essentially sends the money to us and Mm -hmm. we distribute it. So we're the neutral third party that's in the middle, that's making sure that everything's okay with the property as well as making sure that everybody gets paid in the transaction the way they're supposed to get paid and making sure that you pay what you're supposed to pay. Now, why is it important to have an attorney in in the process? So what happens when you have an attorney in the process? The attorney um, gives you an extra level of protection, right? So if you take out an attorney during this process, and I see a lot of people don't do that. So uh, a lot of people don't know that when you're selling a property, because how it works is the person who's purchasing the property, the buyer, they're the ones who essentially picks out the title company. And usually the title company is whoever their real estate agent suggests to them. Because a lot of the real estate offices, they already have a title company in-house. So with that, they'll just be like, okay, they'll write up your contract and they'll put a title company. And most of the time you don't even understand what's happening with that. And they'll just give you a title company. And then the seller, if they don't know, they'll just go along with that title company as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have the real estate when you have when you have an attorney on on hand that gives you an extra layer of protection if you were a seller and you were able to get an attorney on hand you don't have to use the title company's side um as the closing agent for you so a seller could essentially have their own closer which could be their own attorney and the buyer would have their own person if you guys don't elect to say anything it'll just be one company doing the whole closing so we're the ones who would drop all your documents all your deeds all your mortgages all your stuff 
we're the ones who also go over what they call the closing disclosure. So the closing disclosure has all of the fees, all of the charges, everything that everybody's making from the mortgage company to the commissions for the real estate agents to any taxes to everything else. So we're the ones who are going to go over and look and make sure that everything's okay. Also, sometimes, although title companies are licensed, so they are reputable, you know, they have their own guidelines that they have to follow and everything else. An attorney just adds that extra layer of if there's an event where you need to go to mediation or something, you'll already have your attorney on staff that's able to um, discuss certain things with you and find out certain things for you. If you um, if you have some issues with some of the documents that are drawn up or if you don't understand certain things, we're able to explain it to you on a legal level because the title company essentially doesn't offer you any um, advice in terms of what's good, what's not good, what's happening because they're not attorneys. So they're not supposed to offer you any legal advice. So it just gives you an extra layer of understanding. It gives you an extra layer of, of um, knowledge on what's going on. And um, a lot of times, you know, things that they're adding on there don't need to be added. There's fees that they add on there that don't need to be added. So uh, having an attorney come in and help you with your deal definitely, you know, saves you money. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, qu- quick question. What's the pros and cons of having a, a title company in-house? Um, for the real estate company? For the real estate company. Um, the pros for the real estate company is that the real estate company, usually it's somebody who, you know, works with them on some capacity. So I'm sure the funding and, you know, however they set that up, you know, just works for them and it's kind of convenient for them. Um, a lot of times you'll find maybe husband and wife or friends. So you'll have, um, a husband who's, you know, the title agent and you'll have, a wife who's a real estate agent and then they'll have a thing. And then, so that way they can, you know, close the transactions, you know, together and they're able to um, get funded both ways on that end. Um, when you have an outside title company though, I think it gives you a uh, extra level of, um, I guess, clarity in terms of what's happening. They're mm-hmm. not just kind of pushing the deal on you because, you know, the real estate agent is in the business of making sure that they get their commission, you know, that they get the, their, they get their check. So I guess having somebody who's outside, who's not, you know, necessarily tied to the realtor kind of, you know, gives you a separation of powers, so to speak. Um, so, you know, everybody's not commingling, everybody's not, you know, figuring out. And buyers don't know that you have the opportunity to go out and get your own title company. You do not have to use the title company that the realtors offer you. A lot of times the realtors don't even think twice. They just put their title company on there. They don't even ask you if you have a title company. They just put theirs on there. And that's automatically what it is and whatever deal they have going on you know that's what they'll do but um yeah you're you're off you're always free to have your own title company you're always free to have your own attorney go over the deal for you and everything gets paid out, out at closing so right. it's, it's um that's just how it works out but yeah they um it just automatically happens like that um two things one um do you cons- let's, you only you can only do florida correct but let's for say you, closings for yeah. closings. Okay. But let's say somebody wanted some consultation. They just wanted mm-hmm. to speak to you to get some feedback. Uh, do you provide that service as well? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I always have people, um, obviously different States have different licenses and the rules mm-hmm. change a bit, but yeah, if people want some general information, just reading over a contract or something like that. Absolutely. We're, you know, I'm, I'm always open to, you know, just giving them some information, giving them some clarity. If there's some causes that they don't understand what it means. Um, yeah. I am working on, you know, not working on, but considering doing the title licensing for New York 
and maybe maybe Atlanta, we'll see. But because uh, I get a lot of people who call from those areas and who <laughs> want to do certain things. I'm uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know, I know. So uh, we'll we're we're gonna work on that and see. But yeah, I no, in wait. terms of just sharing information and you mm -hmm. know maybe just reading over something to let them know. Okay, here's what they should look out for, and here's what they shouldn't. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a friend re recently. He was closing on a property, and um, I advised him to get an attorney because they they wanted there was something wrong with the wall. Uh, mm. Something was going on, and they had, and after they did their appraisal and the inspection, it was about um eight eight to ten thousand dollars that had in repairs for the wall. Um. And instead of reducing the cost or at least try to cut down on the pavement, they wanted to put it. They wanted to divert it into escrow. And mm -hmm. I, it was, it was so confusing that I was saying, I think you just should go speak to an attorney and find right. out what's going on. Right, right, right. Right. But I what mean, is, go ahead. So what an attorney would have done at that point is they would have jumped in and once they would have said, Hey, I'm representing such and such, or whatever they're dealing directly with the title company and letting them know, Hey, here's what we're going to put in escrow. Here's what we're not going to put in escrow. And if you guys can't deal with it, then the deal is, is, is off the table. And um, it takes a it takes a special kind of attorney because not all attorneys deal with, you know, appraisals and surveys and inspections. So um, there are certain things that we know to look out for, um, being that we already do title work as well. And uh, it would have just been a situation of letting them know, no, this is how we're going to renegotiate it and stuff. And a lot of times if the seller already knows the funding is in place, everything else is in place, you're you're able to move that way because they want to get it sold anyway. So, yeah. What are some of the mistakes that people make when, when they, they're when they buying a property and they have to deal with the titles and, and the escrow? Um, some of the mistakes that they make, they think they can walk away from their from from the deal after they put money in just because they feel like they don't like the property. I've had several clients. Really? Yeah, they think they can walk away and they won't lose their escrow because it's in escrow. And I've had several clients. Will come in and we're get, like literally the lender's like okay clear to close and then it'll be closing day it'll be like ah i changed my mind or oh i had a bad feeling or a bad dream and i don't want to do it anymore and you're like but ma'am you just deposited thirteen thousand dollars into escrow you're not getting that money back and they're mm -hmm. like wait what yeah yeah you don't get that money back if the if if there's no um clause in your contract which there wouldn't be because who would put a clause in the contract that you could walk away at closing if there's no clause in the contract that says hey you could walk away at closing Unless there's an issue with inspection, so your mm. inspection comes back with you know a lot of stuff and you want to walk away, that's usually a contingency. Uh, if the appraisal comes back too low, they're selling the house for two hundred thousand and it comes back worth one eighty, that's something else you can walk away from the contract and get your money back. Um, if there's an issue with title, obviously, if there's you know any liens and stuff like that, those types of things, if they're not able to remedy them those situations, you're able to walk away with with you know your your ref you'll be given back. Um, the money you put in escrow, but unless it's something like that, you you can't just cancel a deal for no reason and uh, decide you're going to take your money back. That's not how it goes. And I see a lot of clients go to mediation mm -hmm. over it, and you have to pay for the mediators. You have to pay for an attorney to represent you at mediation, and then by that time, the money's already gone. Uh, sometimes they'll decide between them that you know the seller will get half and you'll get half back. But why lose that type of money? So. I say, unless you're like, sure, sure, sure. Don't put the offering on the property. Cause if everything is good, you get funded. You don't have an issue getting financing. You don't have an issue with appraisal. You don't have an issue with inspection or title. If all of those things are good, you can't just walk away from the deal. Like you're there. That's, mm -hmm. that's it. Or you will lose you, your money. You're buying it in. 
you're, you're buying it in, you'll lose mm -hmm. your money. So unless you care or don't care, then, you know, uh, don't, I wouldn't suggest doing that unless you're like, sure, that's a, a property you love. Cause a lot of people they'll be looking, they'll mm -hmm. put the money down, they'll go out, they'll see something else. I'm like, Oh, I like this one better. Wait, <laughs> you're already in contract. You can't just go pick something else while we're in the middle of this deal. So, uh, especially if there's nothing coming back, that's wrong with the property. So, uh, yeah, I see a lot of people lose money like that. And, and that's, you know, that becomes an issue. I'd say a lot of people who uh, sellers who have a lot of liens that are opened out or work that they start on the property, they took out a permit, they didn't double check and make sure stuff is closed. And when it gets time to closing, we can't close because, you know, you have all these types of liens and open permits and things in your property. Or, you know, if you're supposed to get proceeds from your sale, we have to hold back, you know, five, ten thousand dollars to make sure everything gets closed out before you get all your money. So um, just making sure that all your stuff is in order as a seller just mm -hmm. is important. Um, knowing that you can have your own attorney to do your selling documents because those documents become a lot. That's where you're signing over your deed, your bill of sale, your, you know, all of the documents for taxes and everything else. So having your own attorney that's going there and reviewing everything to make sure everything is good um, definitely gives you an extra peace of mind. Oh, that's good. Now, if I'm a business and I wanted to buy a property, I know, mm -hmm. uh, what what recommendations would you give? Well, it's, it's the same, a similar process. Obviously, you know, you're going to have a realtor that'll go out and help you find the property. You'll write up the contract. And then from there, you'll do similar thing, title and closing. I would say for the business side, though, definitely make sure you have your own attorney, even if you have a title company. And it, because title companies don't have to have attorneys in-house. So that's two different things. You can be a title company without an attorney. So uh, not all title companies have attorneys. So I would say definitely for sure, if the title company doesn't have an attorney in-house, have an attorney uh, looking over your paperwork, looking at everything else, because now you're talking about some big bucks. You're buying commercial property. You know what I'm saying? The rules and, and regulations are different. Inspection rules are different. Appraisal rules are different as opposed to a regular home. So I would say definitely have that. Even if you're leasing commercial property, get an attorney, people. Like It's so many things that they add in those leases. You'll mm -hmm. get a lease that's like 25 pages and a whole bunch of words packed together. And in between all those words are all kind of crazy clauses that are in favor of the landlord and uh, detrimental to you know the person who's about to lease the property. So I, I've gotten a lot of that because you know right now we're in the time where people are opening businesses and people are you know out here becoming mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. So I get a lot of clients who just need me to review their leases for them. And you know, in going over the lease we'll sit down for two, three hours and they'll be like, wow, I can't believe you said all of that. So I wouldn't sign a lease right now without an attorney because it's, it's interesting what they put in the contracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so overall the best bet is to just always have an attorney present. Just get an attorney guys. Just get an attorney. <laughs> just get an attorney. What, what else do you want us to say? Um, I just think it's important that other cultures, um, they don't do anything without their attorneys at all. Period. Yeah, they don't care what it is. That's 100. They don't care what it is. They're like, oh, I have my attorney look at it. I have mm -hmm. my attorney check mm -hmm. it. I'll have like mm -hmm. they keep the attorney on call all right. the time. Mm -hmm. It could be they won't sign a one sheet of paper for you without having their attorney because they understand how detrimental it is to get locked up and and binded into something and not be able to get out and for them to have to go into lawsuits and all this stuff. So while we're in this year and space of okay you know we're gonna be entrepreneurs and we're gonna go out and you know get our side hustle and we're gonna you know start all these businesses and companies we have to make sure we do it the right way we have to make sure that all of our stuff is in order two things you always are gonna need an accountant and an attorney 
an accountant yeah. to make sure you're good with the IRS, an attorney to make sure you're good on the legal side so you're not getting sued left and right. Because what good is it to build a company and an empire and then get sued and all your money get taken away? Yeah, you said you something that very important. Um, uh, my financial planner, Malik Lee, he said something similar to that. He said, mm -hmm. you know, before you even come to me as a, as a business or any, any, anything in, in general, before you come to me to, to become your financial planner, because he's a certified He's mm -hmm. a CFP, right? Mm -hmm. And before you could come to me, he said, you need to have two things before you get to me. And you need an accountant and you need a lawyer. He right. said, then you come to me. Right. Uh, if you don't have those two things in place, then he said, there's not much I can do. Because once I start investment, that's it. And yeah. if you don't have nothing to protect it, then there's nothing I could do for you. Nothing. Because at the end of the day, his job is to make sure that he grows your money, right? Mm -hmm. But he can't review all of your contracts for you. He can't advise you legally on what's happening. He can't tell you nothing. And the same way, tax-wise, he can't say, okay, here's your tax benefit. Here's how you got to file this. Here's what needs to be done with IRS. He can't do all of that for you. He could show you how to grow your money. And the same way I can advise you legally, okay, here's what this contract says. Let's take out this clause. Let's add this clause. Let's protect it this way. But I can't tell you what to do with the IRS. I can't tell you how to make your money grow. So each of us have our own space that we specialize in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if people get, you know, um, a bit scared because when they hear attorney, they think lots of money. It does cost money. But what costs you even more money is getting sued. Cause that's when you don't, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you, when you get to the point of a lawsuit, yeah. when you get to the point of, you know, your landlord is acting a certain way and you were like, okay, what do I do now? How do I get out of it? And you go come to find out you can't get out of it. You know what I mean? Or you're going to like, owe all this money or all this stuff is going to come to you. So you're kind of stuck in a bad position. Now it's kind of like you took five steps forward, but you're taking 10 steps back because you didn't want to pay that extra thousand, two thousand dollars to make sure everything was good. But now yeah, it's going to cost you fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand dollars stuck in a bad position. So yeah. I think that's something that we need to just kind of normalize is, hey, let me talk to my attorney. Hey, let me check with my accountant. You know what I'm saying? So we yeah. can know that all of our stuff is good. Yeah. I, I just want to touch on something. Um, my boy Breeze, we know Breeze. And he said he's always he said, I'd rather put a quarter in a meter than pay sixty dollars for a ticket. He said a quarter means nothing versus the $60 I got to pay for that parking ticket. Or Not only is it $60, you have to go online or you have to call you them. Call, you have to you go there. Not, right. Yeah, right. It, it, and, I, and that always stuck with me every time. So any anything I do, I'm like, well, this is the quarter versus the $60. I always protect put that reference in. Right. Yeah, protect uh, yourself. Listen, the other cultures, they have family attorneys. That means an attorney who's passed down generation to generation. They don't do nothing. They don't buy a house. They don't sign a contract. They don't open nothing. They like everything is their family attorney. This yeah. like we need to normalize our people having family attorneys. We need to normalize. Well, why our don't we though? Why? Once again, I think I think maybe it was a two. It, it, I think it's two things. I think it's a lack of knowledge, just not understanding the systems. You know, mm -hmm. just not understanding what's happening, the necessity of it. You know. You know, we've just come to, we were just born and, and taught, okay, they give us something to sign, you're signing it, you know, without reading it and not understanding it. It's just, it's a whole bunch of stuff. So we we didn't have that knowledge. We didn't see some of our parents doing that. You know, our parents didn't know to do that, or maybe they couldn't afford it. And, um, or they weren't even in that space. They were, you know, more blue collar workers and stuff like that. So they did something else. But I, I think that that kind of added to that. And then I think once again, people become, you know, kind of scared of the money part. They're like, oh my God, an attorney this. Yes, it is going to cost you money. But, you know, if you're going into, into a mindset of, okay, I'm going to start this business or anything else, 
the first one of the first portions that you should take out okay let me take out something for my legal fees like you already know the same way you know okay you're gonna have to you know renovate you're gonna have mm -hmm. to invest in this you have to buy merchandise you have to do whatever like okay let me make sure that i have some fees aside from my attorney so i know mm -hmm. that when i'm doing my stuff it, it is what it is so i think it's, it's, it's those two things and i think we just need to kind of get away from that because you can't have a business and not have an attorney you can't you know have a business and not have an accountant it just doesn't doesn't make sense yeah 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 uh, you're right we we have to preach that some more mm -hmm. uh, but it, it when when you're trying to build generational wealth um some of these well you need these things right but some of these uh processes that we we should be putting in place in family business or in uh in our lives in, in general right because you in my opinion you're gonna eventually need a lawyer you're gonna eventually need an accountant because right. as you grow even if you don't have a business but as you grow um, whether you start getting a house, you start having multiple properties, whether you start having kids and, you know, eventually. Listen, you should not, you should not have children and, or have property and not have an attorney on call. That, that, absolutely. Yeah. That's re that's the most ridiculous thing that people are doing right now. You mm -hmm. shouldn't have, you shouldn't be getting married and not have an attorney on call. Like these are things that need to happen. Like, I, I mean, I don't have my shirts now, but I have shirts that say get a prenup. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, I do. I do because we're sitting here building all of this stuff and, right. and you know, building. We're building businesses. We're buying houses. We're doing all this stuff. God forbid something happens in your relationship, mm -hmm. and it's not to say that okay, this person's not going to get anything else. But the amount of attorney fees you guys are going to spend fighting, as opposed to having you know an exit strategy, mm -hmm. a, a fire plan that says, hey, if this catches on fire, how are we exiting? And it's going to cost you way less. You know, you could probably even do it yourself at that point, as opposed to attorneys. I've seen attorneys that we're, um, we're working on divorce cases and we're opposing counsel and I'll tell them, okay, hey, you know, the client is saying X, Y, and Z, or, you know, the client owns this property, but it has a mortgage on it or whatever. And they'll send me something and be like, oh yeah, I have your client um, transfer the property to my client. I'm like, man, did you not just hear me? I just said, there's a mortgage on the property. The property doesn't belong to my client and it can't belong to your client. And then like one time I was talking to an older attorney, this was a few years ago when I had first started. Mm -hmm. I was like, why is this attorney saying this? Like, what is going on? And he was like, oh, she's billing them. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, she's billing them. She's just sending emails back and forth with you just to add to her bill. Cause they don't know no better. For them, they see, oh, she's emailing, so she's working, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she just kept sending me the same thing. Every email she was sending cost them like a hundred dollars. 15 minutes of her time was $100. So she sat there and wrote an email yeah. and something that was stupid that she knows <laughs> made no sense. But you know what it is? It made sense when you're emotionally uh, distressed. When, you, when you're when you angry and you're not really thinking clearly, you just want um, some kind of validation to, to someone to agree with my right. emotion. Like, I deserve this. Right. Yeah. You're not really thinking. But yeah, meanwhile, the numbers are adding up, right? And then you get that bill and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Whoa, <laughs> how, how am I supposed to pay this? Right. And right. Like, oh, man, you need to do that or I will withdraw from the case and you're in the thick of it. But yeah, right. you'll have attorneys that'll be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's go ask for full custody. Knowing very well, there's no grounds for custody, anything. But are they going to tell you that? No. And they'll ask you for a three, four, five thousand dollar retainer and you'll pay it because you're like, OK, yeah, they agree with me. My attorneys have to get custody and they'll get in. They'll be like, sorry, I can't promise you any outcomes. You know, the judge didn't agree. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. you know what I'm saying? They wrote some motions for you. They wrote, they went to court with you. You know what I'm saying? They did mm -hmm. that part. They, they, you know, they tried, but you know, in their, in the back of their mind, they knew that you really didn't have a leg to stand on. Yeah. So. Yeah. But what um, if you share that information and they still want to go through it? 
Um, I mean, I think at that point it's up to the attorney to kind of figure out if there's any angles. Me, I'm all about, you know, trying to have the divorce get done as quickly and as amicably as possible. I went through a divorce, so I know what it looks like. And um, thank God we didn't have too much property. We only had a kid that we were sharing and we were able to do an agreement and kind of settle that out. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have attorneys that'll be, they'll tell you no, and the client will insist, like, no, this is what I want. And you'll be like, no, that's not what it is. And they'll insist. And if it's something that, okay, there's an angle to kind of work it, you're there to represent the client, hey, try to go with it. But if there's really no angle, I think at that point it's up to the attorney to be like, you know what, I can't represent you in this because this don't make no sense and it looks ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's when it gets and messy. That's when it gets messy. That's mm -hmm. when it gets. So at that point, you know, you have some clients who really do get emotional and they get into that space. And it's like, do you even as an attorney want to take on? And there's people that I have to turn away because I already see, I could see in the future <laughs> that it's going to become a problem client. Because if you don't do what they say, even though you know that's not what it's supposed to go, then they get mad at you and they didn't want to do this and blah, 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 and get all irate. And, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to threaten to call the bar and stuff. And you're like, man, no. So I, I think what we kind of have to outweigh, like, okay, is this even worth the headache? Is this couple thousand dollars even going to be worth the headache? And, you know, if I have to turn it away, then I'll just turn it away. I'll, I'll refer it out. Maybe they'll find somebody else. But, um, yeah, there's some people who just kind of lose it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. sucks. It sucks when you go through all that. Yeah. Um, but some, I, I do believe sometimes it's, it's, it's for the better. So it's, yeah. Yeah. You got to go. It, if... It, it, to me, at the end of the day, it's unhealthy when you're with somebody you don't want to be with. Right, so right, right, right. So no, the best that, thing to do is just go through it. That never helps, you know what I mean? Mm. And it costs you more in the long run. It costs right. you more. It costs you your peace of mind and everything else. And, you know, yeah. when everybody's where they need to be, it, it works better. And it, it, it's a better opportunity for everyone else. So I just think that, you know, when it comes to that, but what I always tell my clients, just try to get it out as soon as possible. You've already decided you want to be with the person. Let's just get it out as soon as possible. Unfortunately, you didn't have a prenup. I'm telling people now, don't get married without one. It doesn't matter if you have something, don't have something that could be the love of your life. Just because you get one doesn't mean you don't love them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like if you, if somebody doesn't offer you a prenup, that means they don't love you for real. Because now they're like, okay, you know, I love you now, but if it's time to fight, I want to fight with you. You know what I mean? As opposed to them being like, you know what? I love you. And at the end, if something happens, I still love you. It's all good. And I think that's what a prenup gives people. And um, so, yeah, I just think that, you know, we have to understand that there's more out there than, you know, just kind of fighting and going back and forth and, you know, being petty and racking up all these legal fees. Yeah. It's good for the attorney. Yeah, it's great because, you know, we're billing you four or $500 an hour. But, you know, is it worth it for you? You already, you know, are distressed emotionally from being with that person. Now you're going to be distressed emotionally from these bills that we're going to send you. So it's not, <laughs> it's not always worth it. It's not. Well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, they they got someone like you and uh, working for them because uh, one thing, you're going to be fully transparent about what's going on. Right. And you don't mind sharing your opinion in a, in a nice in a nice manner. Right, right, yeah, right. So I think that's a great thing. I just wanted to know, like, if you had to give some advice, some feedback to people uh, that wanted to go through on this journey to becoming an uh, attorney or just, just in life in general, what's some of the things that you would suggest? Um, if they want to become an attorney, make sure that's what they really want to do. I can't yeah. tell you how many people I started off school with. And, uh, you know, after the first semester, they're like, oh, no, this ain't for me. Uh, so, you know, just make sure that it's something that you really want to do. 
uh, and that you're going to be able to dedicate the time to it. Uh, and that's dedicate the time all the way through. That's whether you're starting from your first year in classes or you're getting to, you know, the final stages of studying for the bar. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it's not an easy task. You know, a lot of people, they go to, they go to school, they get their bachelor's and they get their master's. Law school is a whole different beast. The amount of reading and the amount of, and, and, and to be honest, they haze you the first year. Like the professors are mean really? to you on purpose. Oh yeah. The professors mm. are mean to you on purpose the first year. Like they will. Well, they want to like, see if you're going to uh, break or not. Yeah, they want to see if you're going to break or not. They want to see if this is actually for you. They, they're giving you a taste of real life. You know, what if you get chewed out by a judge one day? You know what I mean? Uh, are you going to be able to handle, you know, handle the embarrassment with, you know, some type of dignity and be able to come back and, and, and stand with it? You know what I mean? Are you going to have that tough skin? Because it's a tough it's a tough business. You know what I mean? I could be nice, but another attorney might come in and be mean. So now we got to be mean together. You know what I mean? <laughs> so hey, it's um, it's it's not it's not an easy thing to to come in and, and, and deal with. So just making sure that you're going to be able to dedicate the time that you're going to need the next two three years. When I was studying for the bar, I was in the library from like eight a.m. until like twelve p.m. seven days a week, seven days a week. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of thing. And I my thing was. I couldn't afford to take it twice. Like when you're taking the bar, you can't work, you can't do anything. So I had to completely stop everything. It costs a lot of money for the application. You have to travel somewhere to go sit for the exam. It's two days. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's no joke. Like we were walking into the bar exam, like they got metal detectors. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. Um, you know, so it's, I, I was like, I can't do this again. So I might as well just get it out the way now and just, you know, just buckle down and do what I have to do. So it's just, it's a lot of moving pieces. You just got to make sure that you're dedicated, but people do it. People do it. There's, there's some people you'll come across that aren't the most intelligent people. And hey, they went to law school and you know, they they made it, they got got their license and you know, you'll be like, how the heck did you become an attorney? But you know, people make it. So I I don't even think it's just, it's really a mind over matter thing. Like you just got to know, okay, I'm coming in here. I'm going to study my butt off and I'm going to do what I got to do and just, you know, get what I need to get. And then, mm-hmm. you know, from there, being able to know what you're going to do. Are you going to work for a firm or are you going to start your hang your own shingle, as we call it, uh, and start your own firm? You know, that's another thing that, you know, our community kind of is struggling with right now. And um, it's, it's interesting. Not everybody knows how to start a business. I was fortunate enough that I was in a space where I had already started businesses before. I was working in PR, so I have a lot of people that I know. You know what I mean? And I was able to, like, within a week of me officially announcing that I was launching my own firm, like, I had several clients and people refer people and people know people. And I really haven't even had to do much of my promotion in PR like I thought I was going to need to do. Um, and I, I kind of had to stop it because I was scared that I was going to take on too many people at once, you know? So I had to be like, okay, let me not, let me focus on what I have going on yeah. now and not, you know, put myself too much out there. Um, but some people don't have that ability, you know, and it's not it, uh, going to law school is not as easy as coming out and like, oh, OK, I'm going to go get a, a job. They want experience. They want things, you know, happening. So making sure that you set yourself up. So once you do graduate, you have a plan. Um, kids that other other people's kids who come out, their daddies already own law firms. So they already know they're going to go work for daddy or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what <laughs> or, you know, auntie is a judge. So they already yeah. know they're going to go clerk at, you know, the thing. If you don't have that, you have to make sure that you know, okay, when I get out, here's what I'm going to do. Because yeah. you're going to be over $100,000 in debt. Is know, it a, is all it, this time. I'm sorry. Is it a competitive space? Um, It's a competitive space, but it's 
it, it, I wouldn't say it's necessarily competitive. It depends on what field you're in. But I just feel like there's all people always need attorneys for everything. Like it's always somebody getting in trouble, whether it's a personal injury attorney that's dealing with car accidents. Like there's no lack of car accidents. There's no lack of people with immigration problems. There's no lack of people um, with divorce issues. You know what I mean? Like it's, some people always have something going on. Like there's no, it's just a matter of how you position yourself. I know attorneys who've been in the game for 20, 30 years, and mm -hmm. I probably have more clients than them, more active clients than them right now. You know what I mean? Just because they don't want to put themselves out there. They don't, you know, want to do what they need to do. You know what I mean? So it's just well, more, it's more like you said earlier, it's a more of a digital space right now. So it's a digital space. Yeah, so do you know how to function? Do you know mm -hmm. how to manage yourself in that space? Do you know how to brand yourself in that space? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so some people don't have that and they don't have and they don't, you know, pick that up. I've seen other attorneys too who work in the games, they were pure they work purely off of referrals. They don't have to advertise, they don't have to do anything and they constantly have clients blowing up their phones at the office and you know so they're they're busy on that end so it's just a matter of you know deciding you know from the beginning of going to law school okay when i get out of law school here's my end plan here's my game plan i always knew once i graduated law school i was going to go out on my own um and so in between that i had a couple of attorneys that i started working with i started working in the title and escrow space before i was an attorney so i already knew what i was getting into so now that i'm done it's kind of like okay cool i already know what areas i'm going to jump into and what i'm going to do so that kind of helped there. Um, so just kind of picking those things. And I would tell people to kind of practice the stuff that they have, you know, some experience and knowledge in. So mm -hmm. I get a lot of divorce cases. I've been divorced. So I'm able to talk to a client and be like, hey, been there, done that. Here's how I went. Here's what I did. They're like, okay, you know, they come in thinking one thing. And when I can explain to them and they're able to know that I can actually relate to them, you know, it gives them a, a special thing, probate. That's another part of real estate that's a big thing right now. People who are passing yeah, away leaving property to their family. Yeah. So, we didn't even I mean, touch on that. Why why is that? Why is what? Why are people leaving property? Yeah, why are they leaving property. Yeah. So well, no way to die. But yeah, why are they leaving right, the property? Right, right. <laughs> so what's happened in our community right now is that we weren't taught how to pass on this generational wealth, right? Yeah. So right now we're like, oh yeah, build generational wealth, build generational wealth. Yeah. Through the will. Go ahead. How do you pass it? How do you pass on your, your thing? A will mm -hmm. actually is nothing. Ooh. A will Break means nothing. Break it down. Someone shared that uh, someone shared that with me recently. There's like uh the the will really doesn't protect you as much. But go ahead, break it down. So what is a will? Traditionally, what we know as a will is you say, okay, hey, I have a house, I have some jewelry, I have a car. When I pass away, my house is gonna go to this person. Um, my card's going to go to that person. My jewelry's going to go to this person. Cool. Great. So when you pass away, what actually happens now? When you pass away, somebody needs to know where this will was, find this will, check this will. So now you have people in your family who are like, oh, okay, first thing you'll have people in your family fighting. That wasn't the real will. There was another will or somebody pops up with a different will and be like, no, this is the one they really signed. That's the one they really signed. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? So, and, and, and what is, what do you have to do with that? You have to go to court. Second thing is because they just left it at, in a will, you still have to go to court and have a judge approve the will before you can actually get the stuff that they left you. Right. Mm -hmm. So if somebody leaves you a car in a will, they say, okay, you know, in the will, I'm, I'm leaving you this car. You still have to go to court with that will. So you have to hire an attorney. <laughs> so you, have to go, you have to go to what they call probate. And they have to, the judge has to be like, okay, yes, we approve this will. This 
this will is actually real and true, it's authenticated, and now we could pass on the the title of the car to you, or we could pass on the title of the property to you. So what does that leave for your family? They just spent tens of thousands of dollars planning a funeral for you, because life insurance money takes a little time to, to pay out, uh, right? Unless mm-hmm. unless they got the body sitting for a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, other than that, you know, you're pretty much paying out of pocket, and after that, you know, everybody recuperates. Yeah. Um, so not to cut you off, a friend of mine, his father died. And he needed, you, you know, the the expenses came up to it. It cured it to about uh, a uh, ten thousand, mm-hmm. and they needed ten thousand in advance so they could just go ahead and do the burial and, and the funeral and everything. Yeah. And, but he didn't receive the money until I think about two months later. Yeah. And no, I think time. he was on a lucky end because some people told me that it could take some time. It depends on what insurance company. All insurance companies are not equal. So if it's a bad insurance company, they're going to be like, oh, let me see the death certificate. Oh, let me see this. Uh, let me see a picture of the body. Let me make sure that you guys actually buried the person. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, before yeah. they pay you out, they're going to yeah. try, oh, what what did they die from? I need an autopsy. You're like, wait, what? We've been paying this life insurance for 20 years. Like, just give us, you know, the money. Give We're the already money. grieving. Right. right. So you're already paying out of pocket for this funeral. Right. So now after that, what do you have to do? You have to go hire an attorney and pay another couple thousand dollars. So the attorney could go to court and be like, judge, hey, there's a will. Can you please make sure that it's okay and approve it so they could pass on this property? So now you don't spend money on the funeral and you're spending money in court on top of you already grieving the passing of a family member, you know, the mm-hmm. passing of a loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the will really doesn't do anything. The will doesn't do anything to really help anything. It doesn't really do anything to kind of protect you. It doesn't really, you know, save the family any headache because mm-hmm. they're still going to be fighting. So what we should be doing is putting, you know, anything that we're going to pass on to people in a trust. What does a trust do? A trust is essentially a, 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 a vehicle that, you know, they've created in which you're passing on the property actually before you pass away. So you don't have, they don't have to go through the through court and so a judge for the judge to pass on title because the title is passed while the person is still living. So therefore, once they do pass away, there's already a beneficiary that's there and you just automatically get it without it having to go to court, be public record, pay money for an attorney because you already set that up there. So I would say to anybody right now, if your parents are saying, hey, they have a will or anything, don't even don't even like let them give you that headache because it's a problem. Mm-hmm. It's a huge problem, and it costs families a lot of money. And a lot of times, families just don't even know what to do, and they just let a lot of stuff go to waste. I don't know how many families I come across that they have properties that were paid off by um, their loved one, and then now because there's no trust, there's nobody in charge. Siblings are fighting, family members are fighting, taxes aren't being paid on the property. Right. Nothing's being paid on the property and the property, you know, goes into a tax lien sale and, you know, somebody else comes in and scoops it up and it goes into foreclosure because now, nobody wanted to pass it along. Let me ask you this. Let's say I have a partnership with somebody on a property, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, we do businesses and there's a property that's available. Um, And let's say I draw up a contract, 50-50. Mm-hmm. Um, God forbid something happens to me. What then? Can I convert my share into the trust fund? Or how does everything. that work? You should put everything. As soon as you purchase the house, you should put it in a trust. Even anything, though it's 50-50? Everything, you your portion has to go in a trust. The only time you purchase a property and it doesn't necessarily need to go in a trust is if there is what we call the clause of ownership, who owns the property, if it says joint tenants with right of survivorship. 
So what does that mean? That means that you own 50% and they own 50%. And each of you has the right of survivorship. If you pass away, you automatically own the whole property. If they pass away, you automatically own the whole property. But if there's something that's called tenants in common, and this is Florida, but I mean, it, it, it's they, they might have different names, but it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's um, pretty much the same concept. If it's tenants in common, you own 50%, they own 50%. If something happens to the other person, their 50% mm -hmm. has to go down to somebody in their family. However, they still have to probate it. So they're still going to have to go to court and for the court to pass on their portion and for them to do what they need to do. So making sure that you put your stuff in a trust. If you do own 50%, then letting them know that you're 50% and you're in, it goes into your trust. And I would just say put it in the name of the trust, period. Put properties in the names of the trust, period. It avoids having to go to court and probate and everything else. Me personally, as an attorney speaking to you guys, and this is why I actually got into probate, I can't, my mom passed away December of 2019. Mm -hmm. I can't remember, um, I can remember my mom like constantly, oh, you know, she calls me shop, you know, put the, put the house in your name and put the stuff in your name. And so I was like, yeah, mom, don't worry, I'll get around to it, I'll do it. And then, so she passed away one day, like I was taking her to the doctor, came out the doctor, passed away. And I was just like, well, damn, now I have to go through probate by myself for her house. Yeah. So, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. And then leaving your family with that burden of doing that. So what you would do is you would have what they call a revocable trust. So you essentially still, obviously, you still own your property and you could, you know, change it at any time. It's revocable. You know, you you can switch it at any time. You can remove it at any time. But it's a vehicle that says, OK, this property is in this trust. This trust has beneficiaries. This trust has a trustee. If something happens to you, they don't have to go through all that because technically it's already passed. It becomes irrevocable at the time that you pass away. So once you pass away, it's activated and they get to automatically have all the property. And that's what the other communities do. So for us, when you always hear people saying, oh, you know, they're a trust fund baby, they're a trust fund baby. For us, we thought, OK, these are millionaires, people with lots of money, you know what I'm saying? And they're doing that. And that wasn't the case at all. They were just. Um, converting over. They were just converting over. So if something happens to them, their family's already good. Their family doesn't have to go to court. Their family mm -hmm. doesn't have to pay an attorney a couple thousand dollars and, and go through estate sales and doing all this stuff and, you know, having to liquidate property because they don't know what to do. Because right. either way, you have to do the probate. You know what I mean? So um, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of vehicles in probate that helps you avoid taxes. There's a lot of vehicles in probate that helps you avoid um, if you have issues with divorce or creditors. A lot of people put property and you know assets into um, trust accounts, or they put them into the names of irrevocable. If it become, if you you can do an irrevocable trust, meaning you pass on the property and you're no longer the owner at all, even while you're alive. But when they say you're no longer an owner, you could pass it on to a kid, and your kid is the one who's technically managing the trust, and they're the owners of the trust. But say, for instance, now you get sued because you're a business owner. They can't go after that asset because it's inside of a trust, trust and you don't own the trust. You're technically your kid owns the trust. You know what I mean? And so they can't come after you because, hey, it's not mine. You know what I mean? And people mm -hmm. do it all the time. And that's how you see all of these people get away with different things and different tax credits and things like that. So um, it's not public. It's not public record either. So people ain't going to know what you passed on, what you didn't pass on and everything else, as opposed to probate, which is which is public record. It's just so many different aspects and stuff that um, allow people to protect their assets and help their family out. So I just the same way I said, don't get married without a prenup. Don't have a house or any kind of property without a trust. It, it just doesn't make any sense because you just don't know what's going to happen. Right, right.
No, that's that's valuable. That's a lot of gems right there. No, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And when you when you hear about it and you you start to understand and you like read into it and, and kind of see like you can have a property and you say, hey, I want this property to remain in my family for the next hundred years. And you create a dynasty trust. And so they can never sell the property out of the trust. You know, it has to be passed on from generation to generation. So when we say, OK, we're going to build generational wealth, we have to know how to how to actually pass to it on. It. To. Right. You got to It's not just like, OK, I'm going to have, you know, a million dollars in my bank account when I pass away. And now the kid can't even get to the million dollars because now they're fighting with other people and family members who said it's theirs. And, you know, it wasn't supposed to be for you. And I, I get siblings who are fighting over a house that their parents left. You know, one sibling wants to stay in the house. The others wants to sell the house. And it becomes a whole issue. And by the at the end of the day, the house just gets lost. So now your parents have spent 30 years you know, paying on a house, making sure that they left an asset for you guys and either or either they didn't even care. They weren't living in the house. Taxes, you know, took over and they just let the house get lost. And somebody comes in and scoops a house for $20,000 free and clear. So uh, making sure that we pass on these things and kind of like teach our kids, okay, hey, I'm passing this on to you. Divide stuff in advance. Mm-hmm. And when I say divide, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily hand over control, but divide stuff like, hey, when the house, when I when I pass away, I want you guys to sell the house and just like leave a plan because people don't know what you intend for them to do. Right, and right. a will, a will, like I said, you still have to go to court for it. So the trust is the way that you avoid having to go to court. Everybody already knows what they're supposed to get. You have your beneficiaries. Everybody knows where everything is, mm-hmm. and you know there's ways to avoid paying certain taxes if you have an irrevocable trust. Um, so it's it's a lot of different things. We could do like a whole show on, <laughs> on that, but um, I'm so definitely if, pushing that. Yeah. So if I'm a, if I'm someone that's looking to get the trust, I just call a contact an attorney, and that's it. Right. Okay. You just contact your attorney. Let them know, hey, you know, I wanna I wanna put some property in the trust. And then you go ahead and do that, whether it's liquid assets, whether it's, you know, real estate, whatever it is, if it's something that, you know, is going to have title and needs to be passed on or needs to be given or that you just want to be passed on to generation, it needs to be in a trust. Whether that's setting up trust funds for your kids so they get paid out periodically as they get older or just, you know, something happens to the property. You won't, I, I can't tell you how many people I come across who have property as husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And even after they pass away, just because of the way they wrote the deed and the person who was writing the deed wrote it incorrectly, the wife has to go probate or the husband has to go probate, you know, after a property that they've been living in together, paying together for years. And now you're warning the loss of your husband. Plus, you still have to go to court and get your name, you know, put on the property properly so you get your homestead tax exemptions. Wow. You know what I mean? And it's just you didn't expect them to pass away. You didn't know they were going to pass away. But. You can't, even if that's your husband, you can't just go to the bank and be like, oh, that's my husband and he had an account and I need access. No, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you still have to go to court. You still have to do certain things. So, you know, not having these things in place actually causes the family more headache. It costs them more money. You know what I'm saying? If we're saying, okay, we're leaving stuff for our family so they could be good after, you got to leave it to them the right way so it makes sense for them. Don't leave them in a mess and they're trying to figure things out. And You know what I mean? So, Making sure that as soon as you own the property, you put in a trust for the family and then, you know, something happens. Everything's already set and in place, you know, make sure your power attorneys are there. You know what I mean? So uh, see, this is the formula that we need. A lot, right. Like we, we talk about it, but we don't have like a, a, a formula, a foundation, something that we could pull from or, or, or playbook. Yeah. This is a good playbook that you could pull from and say, OK, these are the things I need to do to put in place. All right. Let me start with this sheet right here first. Right. Right. 
And then once I'm set, then I could start building other wealth and other and pass it down. And then you know that, yeah, the stuff that you're building is actually going to get to your kids or to your other loved ones without it being crazy taxes and without right. other people trying to fight for it or creditors trying to come after it and things like that. So, you know, just making sure that, you know, it's, it's in, a, in a proper a proper channel for them to actually get the benefit of your hard work. Uh, like I said, I have clients all the time I see who, you know, properties are in distress and foreclosure. A family, a, a family member left the property, a sibling is living in it. They haven't paid the taxes for a few years. And boom, now the, the property's in foreclosure. Nobody in the and nobody in the family wants to put together the money to get it out. You know, they don't want to go to court. And, and the property gets lost. And it's it gone. Lost. Gone. And Just somebody like pick it up for dirt cheap. Scoops it up at an auction. At yeah. a, a taxing auction. That's what they're waiting on. They're banking yeah. on people not knowing how to properly take care of these things and for them to go in and scoop it. That's their business. That's their business model is going after these types of properties. That's crazy. That's what they do. Yeah. And it happens all the time. All the time.